Well, again, welcome. So glad you're joining us online and in person this morning. Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into God's Word together. Lord Jesus, we come before you again just asking you, Father, just to, Lord, just to be with our time um, of, of teaching this morning. Lord, as we dive into this word, as we continue to walk through the book of Hebrews together this morning, Lord, reveal your truth to us. And Father, it is our prayer that all of us will be changed by it. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing to walk through our sermon series entitled Jesus is Better, a study through the book of Hebrews. By way of review, um, last week we looked at how Jesus is a better word, right? We looked at how um, God's word is more than just ink on a page. It is the very breath of God that is breathed out over us. The word of God is living, active, sharp, piercing, discerning, and equipping. And we looked at how God's Word exposes everything. You can't hide from it or successfully live independent from it. It is a measurement for living. It exposes our sinfulness. It reveals our desperate need for a Savior. It introduces us to the God of the universe, His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The Word of God shows us we can gain the gift of eternal life as well, doesn't it? And the Word of God reveals to us what our God-given mission is as believers. There's nothing like the Word of God, right? Amen? Let's One more time. Nothing like the Word of God, right? Amen. Well, this morning, we are looking at um, how Jesus is a better priest. Here's what we need to remember this morning. The writer of Hebrews wrote to a group of people that were contemplating leaving Christianity for Judaism. Um, They were contemplating whether or not Christ is better than the archaic ways of Judaism. Already the writer has made very clear to us over the course of this series and over the first five chapters of Hebrews that Jesus is better than Abraham, better than Moses, better than the prophets, better than Joshua, better than the angels. And this morning we see again that Jesus is a better priest. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16 together. Verses 14 through 16 of Hebrews chapter 14, or chapter 4, I'm sorry. Let's read from God's Word. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice our first point. Jesus is our great high priest. Okay, here's what I want us to do. Just take for just a moment, okay? I want us to have a little bit of a history lesson, okay? Um, For some of um, us in this room, this may be a little bit dry, um, but it's necessary for us to understand the role of the high priest in the Old Testament before we can understand um, um, where we need to go this morning. But the high priest, there was just one high priest at a time. And this man was set apart by God and had to come from the bloodline of Aaron. 
who was the first high priest, the brother of Moses. The high priest's most important job came on the Day of Atonement. It was on this day that the high priest would offer up a sacrifice um, for the sins of all of the people of God. And this was a sacrifice that occurred every single year on the Day of Atonement. So your sin forgiveness was good for one year, about 365 days. And after that, another sin offering had to be offered up in order for your sins to be forgiven. Okay, um, the this, this would occur, okay, within the sanctuary before the temple was built in Jerusalem, but when the temple was built in Jerusalem, it would occur there. There would be two rooms um, that were vital, okay? The first one would be the holy place, okay? This room was available to um, any priest that was on duty could enter into the holy place, and, and, and there um, offer up incense. Um, the, they had different religious um, um, rituals that they performed within the holy place on a daily basis. The holy of holies, on the other hand, that was the room that housed the Ark of the Covenant, that housed the Ten Commandments. It was separated from the holy place by a large curtain. This room was the holiest place on earth. It was where the Shekinah glory of God rested. And only the high priest could enter into that room once a year. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest would offer up two separate sacrifices to God. The first would be a sin sacrifice for his own sins as well as for the sins of his household. The second sacrifice would be a sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation, for the entire people of God. And following each sacrifice, the holy or the high priest would, would take um, some of the blood and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle that blood upon the mercy seat. And the mercy seat basically is the lid that, um, that, that housed the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? So he would do that after the first sacrifice and then he would do it the second time um, on behalf of the sins of all the people of, 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 of God. Um, this was the most important day of the year for the Jew. It was on this day that their sins would be forgiven before God. The writer of Hebrews tells his readers and us that Jesus is a, high, a better high priest. The idea of Jesus being our high priest has already been mentioned two other times in Hebrews. The first time we read in Hebrews 2.17, we, we read these words several weeks ago, but, but we read, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Again in Hebrews 3.1, therefore Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. There's two real key distinctions between um, the high priest and Jesus, okay? Um, Aaron's priesthood was earthly and temporary. Countless high priests would have come after Aaron, and each would perform the exhausting work that occurred on the Day of Atonement. The, then Jesus is our heavenly and eternal priest, isn't he? As our high priest, Jesus became a sin sacrifice for us. He became the sacrificial lamb. His death was not final, 
but his work was indeed final, right? After Jesus' death on the cross, his blood provided a permanent covering for all sins, past, present, and future. There was no longer a need for a high priest to go into the Holy of Holies to represent, um, represent us before God. No man needed to do that any longer. So we see here that Jesus is better than any high priest because Jesus passed through the heavens. He did not um, enter into the holy of holies. He did not pass through a curtain to gain access to God. No, he ascended from which he descended and took his rightful place next to God the Father in heaven. So we see here our first sub-point is Jesus ascended. He ascended and today is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. In Hebrews 10, 12, we read, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This news for a Jew would have been the best of all news. There was finally a way for their sins to be eternally forgiven. Jesus did what no man could ever do. He became a sin sacrifice and provided a covering for for all man's sin, past, present, and future. 2,000 years after Jesus' death on the cross and his his resurrection, that same blood that he shed, shed on that cross still covers us today. It is an eternal covering. Meaning, and the rocks torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Okay, the, the ark, um, um, the, there was a curtain that separated the, the, the holy place from the holy of holies. And this curtain was about 60 feet tall. It was extremely wide, and it was extremely thick. And we're told here in this passage of Scripture that that veil was not ripped from bottom to top, but from top to bottom, meaning that no man ripped that veil. It was God who ripped that veil. With the ripping of that curtain, all the people of God should have known that meant the removal of the separation between God and the people. The readers of this book and us should know that a man is no longer needed to represent us before God. We do not need someone to represent us. You and I have direct access to God the Father through God the Son. And that is good news for everyone in this room, and that would have been good news for every one of the readers of this great book when it was penned a couple of thousand years ago. So our next um, sub-point here is we need to hold fast our confession. Verse 14 again we read, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Because of this truth, the writer is telling his readers and us that there is no reason whatsoever to waver from the faith. There is no reason to contemplate leaving Christ for the old archaic Judaic um, um, Jewish sacrificial system. We are to hold fast, hold on, and stay close to the Word of God. You know, it breaks my heart. But more and more and more people are, are leaving the faith. You realize that? 
they are renouncing Christ or they are saying that they were never truly believers. In recent years, there have been a number of Christian musicians, Christian writers, and even pastors that prominent men and women that have influence over hundreds if not thousands of people. They have thrown their hands up in the air and they have said that I am no longer a believer and they walk away from the church. One pastor who was a very successful Christian writer that sold um, several million copies of, 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 of his books, I believe, um, who was a pastor of a church that, that ran um, thousands, um, he said this before he, after he walked away from the church. He said, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. What a shame. This guy wrote about how to have a relationship with Jesus, preached about how to have a relationship with Jesus, and what did this man do? He walked away from the faith. What, what would lead someone to renounce their faith? Well, one of two things. One, they never really were followers of Jesus Christ. True follower is not going to walk away from the faith. Okay? Or they could have stopped at some point holding fast to their confession. They stopped considering Jesus. They stopped trusting in Jesus. They stopped believing that God um, was capable of doing what he said he was capable. They stopped believing in, in the God of the Bible. They stopped believing that the very Jesus who spoke the world into existence, the very Jesus who made the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the mute speak, the very Jesus who fed the multitudes on two different occasions, walked on water, calmed the raging storm, the very Jesus who has authority to forgive sin and provide salvation, it is in him that you and I can find our rest today. We can believe that he is who he said he was, and we can believe that every word written about him in God's word is the absolute truth. Meaning, if you would repent of your sins this morning and turn to Jesus for salvation, he will give you the gift of eternal life. Folks, hold fast to your confession. Don't give up. Don't let up. Don't stop believing. Hundreds if not thousands of people. I'm afraid after we get on the other side of the pandemic that we're in, we'll no longer return to church. They'll no longer um, be faithful to God's word. I think many people have come to faith in Jesus, and I know they have around this world during this pandemic, but there's a lot of fence riders that, that have been riding the fence, and on the other side of this pan pandemic, I'm afraid that they are going to walk away from the church because they did not hold fast to their confession. Hold fast to your confession. Notice our second point is this. Jesus is our great sympathizer. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, we all need someone that can sympathize with us, don't we? You know, a good sympathizer is someone that can relate to what you are going through. How many of you um, like to have a good shoulder that you can cry on? You know, some of you in this room, man, that's you, man. You need someone that you can go to and, and, and just cry upon their shoulder. Well, what all of us need someone that we can go to to 
encourage us and to strengthen us and to walk with us through the pains and troubles, troubles that we go through in life, right? You know, one of the things I love about this church is that we have some real life experience represented in this room this morning. We have people in this room that know what it means to be abandoned by a spouse, know what it means to have gone through a divorce, know what it means to lose someone very dear to you. You have experienced, some of you have experienced abuse within a relationship. Know what it means not to know where you're going to get money to put food on your table or a roof over your head. Because you have been there, you are able to walk with someone that is going through what you have gone through, right? That's good, isn't it? That's biblical. In fact, we looked a couple weeks ago at Hebrews 3.13 that says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to exhort one another. We need to encourage one another. God's word says iron sharpens iron. When we get together and, and express to one another what's going on within our lives, we are able to come out on the other side better, aren't we? Well, when it, when, when it comes to Jesus, we are told that he is able to relate to our suffering because he is our great sympathizer, and we are told that Jesus knows our weaknesses. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. All, is of, all of us have heard the saying, been there and done that, haven't we? When you think about Jesus, you, you, you can know This saying is true. Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven and came and dwelt among us. He was 100% clothed in flesh. He was 100% man, and he was 100% God as well. Jesus knows what you are going through. He has been there, and he has done that, and we can know also that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. In verse 4, our 15, um, the, the, the middle part of that verse says, but one of Jesus, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Notice that within this scripture, it does not say that Jesus was sheltered from being exposed to the world. It does not say that Jesus lived his life as a hermit and was not exposed to the devil's schemes. It does not say that Jesus would run and hide to avoid being tempted, does it? No, it says right here. It doesn't say that Jesus um, knows some of the temptations that we are going through or most of them. It says here, he has been tempted as we are in every respect. Have you ever thought about that? Everything that you have ever been been exposed to, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted as you are. He, He experienced fleshly temptation. He experienced emotional temptation. He was tempted to break the Ten Commandments just as we have been tempted to break those. Time and time again, Jesus was tempted, but we are told in Scripture, this is how Jesus was able to become the sacrificial lamb for us and go to the cross and die for us. He was tempted, but was without sin. 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. It is one thing to be tempted. It's another thing to give into that temptation, isn't it? Folks, here's the deal. We serve a God who has been there and done that. The Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what it means to go through what you are going through. How many of you have ever sat down with someone and spilled your guts out to them, and after you've spilled your guts out to them, they look at you like a deer in a headlight. They look at you like you are crazy. Has that ever happened to you? Larry Sherman, raise your hand, buddy, okay? All right. Um, all of us have been there, right? They, they look at us like that because they cannot relate to what we are going through. You know, I've told people a number of times that, 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 that I meet with, I, I can't relate to what you are going through. I tell people when I counsel them all the time, you know, I can give you biblical advice, but I can't give you clinical advice because I'm not, uh, I'm not a psychologist, okay? I'm not a, a counselor, but I can give you biblical advice. Now, here's the deal. I can't relate to everything that a person goes through, just like you can't relate to everything a person goes through when they come and spill their guts out to you. But you know who can? Jesus can, can he? The God of the universe can. He has been where you are, yet he came through on the other side without sinning. You too can be tempted and walk away and say no. You know that, right? It's okay to say no. You are going to be tempted. All of us are tempted daily. It's okay for us to say no. You don't have to give in when offered that drink. You don't have to give in when an inappropriate email shows up in your inbox and has like huge words written, click here. You don't have to give in when that punk boy or girl wants you to go too far. You don't have to give in when that coworker tries to persuade you to break your marriage vows. You don't have to give in when tempted to lie, steal, or cheat. You may think that the only choice you have is to say yes because that is what your flesh is screaming out to you to do, but you do not have to. You have within you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is our, our, our source of strength and our source of power. The Holy Spirit gives you and I the ability to say no. It's okay to say no. Say that with me. No. Say it again. No. When Satan tempts you and he's going to tempt you, say no. I want us to conclude this morning with this, with this good news. Jesus is approachable. In verse 16 we read, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we know that Jesus is a much better high priest, because we know that Jesus knows our weakness, because we know that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence this morning. Approach with confidence, my friends. In verse 16, again, we read, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You know, within the ancient world, there was no such thing as a throne of grace. In fact, one writer um, speaks of how there were just thrones of royalty. 
there, which meant there were thrones of judgment, of judgment, of power, and authority. The king had the power to let you live or to sentence you to death. And in fact, in ancient times, it would have been terrifying to have to approach the throne of a king. If the king did not raise his scepter and accept you, then you know what he might do instead? He might sentence you to death right there on the spot. I have good news for all of us in this room this morning. King Jesus, who is seated upon his throne this morning, does not rule like that, does he? In fact, this passage here tells us that all of us can approach his throne of grace this morning with confidence, meaning every single one of us in this room can boldly come before the God of the universe and we can lay all of our petitions at his feet. We can pray to the Father. We can, we can speak to the Father. We can be spoken to by the Father through his word and through life situations. Not only can we confidently approach God's throne of grace, but we can also find grace in our time of need. We read here in the latter part of 16 that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are told in this passage that we can receive mercy and find grace. Notice the, the, what mercy means. Mercy means, mercy is God withholding the punishment I deserve. What do all of us in this room deserve? We deserve death, don't we? Because that's what sin, that is the sentence for sin. That's what we deserve. But notice this, what we have been provided with is grace. And grace has God given me the forgiveness I don't deserve. None of us deserve God's forgiveness. But because of his great love for us and his great mercy, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And through Christ's death and resurrection, all of us in this room can experience forgiveness for our sins. All of us in this room can boldly come before the throne room of God and we can lay all of our petitions at his feet. I know in this room this morning there's a lot of need and there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of struggles that are going in are going on right now. I want you to know you can boldly come before the throne room of God and lay all of your petitions at his feet. God is approachable, my friends. He is not a distant being in the uttermost parts of the heavens. He is approachable and he is available 24-7. You don't have to go through a priest to gain access to God. You don't have to go through a man to gain access to God. You can go directly to God this morning and find grace and mercy. You can go directly to God this morning and lay all of your petitions down in his feet. Because Jesus became our great high priest. He is the only priest that we need this morning. Notice what we read in um, the psalmist wrote in, in Psalm 40, 16 through 17. He wrote these words. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, notice what, what the psalmist says here. Man, I think he's having a pretty rough day whenever he penned these words. He, he, he says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought from me or for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Psalmist recognized that God's a good God. 
Thomas also recognized that he wasn't having a very good day. And what did he do? He came before the throne room of God. And he laid his petitions down at his feet. The Lord knows what you are going through. And he will provide all the help you need in your time of need. God is good and God is gracious. God's throne this morning is a throne of grace. But hear me this morning also. This throne of grace one day is going to become a throne of judgment. One day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to um, hold us accountable for our sins, our unconfessed, unrepentant sins. Notice what um, John wrote that he saw, his revelation in Revelation 20. We read these words. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the lake of fire. Today, you can approach the throne of grace. But if you choose to die never having approached the throne of grace, never experiencing forgiveness for your sins, then one day in the distant future, after you have experienced death of your physical body, you will stand before the God of the universe and you will have to give an account for your life. If you were to stand before Jesus today, let me ask you this question. Would your name show up in the Lamb's book of life? Would your name be in the land's book of life. You may be here this morning and you're like, no. You may be joining us online this morning. You may be like, no, my name would not be in the Lamb's book of life. You may be here this morning and you may be asking yourself, I'm not sure if my name would be written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's how you can know for sure if it is. Have you repented of your sins and asked Jesus to forgive you of those sins? God's word is abundantly clear. If you do that, he will remove those sins as far as the east is from the west. Have you believed in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you believe that it is only through him that you can gain access to God the Father? If you believe that and if you've repented of your sins and you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior, God's word is abundantly clear. You shall be saved. In Romans 10, 9, we read, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Romans 10, 13, it says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you have never cried out to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sins, you or joining us online and you've never done that, do that today. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. 
I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that my sin separates you, um, me from you. I ask you to forgive me of those sins. And you also are making it abundantly clear after you repent of those sins that you believe that, that Jesus indeed is Lord and Savior of your life. And, and you're going to live your life under his leadership and not the leadership of this world. He is going to be Lord of your life. If you don't know Jesus, come to him this morning. For the believers in this room, let me challenge all of us to hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to your salvation. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Constantly and confidently, boldly approach God's throne of grace daily. Become men and women, all of us need this, to become men and women of prayer. And we need to stay in the word and stay on our knees. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want you to, to invite you to come. Let's stand together. And I'm going to be standing here at the front. And if there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus. Again, admitting, Father, that, that we are in desperate need of you 24-7. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for, for providing for us a way to gain access to God the Father. And we know that is through you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our great high priest. We thank you, Father, for making it abundantly clear that we do not have to go through a priest. We do not have to go through a man to gain access to you. We don't need a priest or a man to represent us before you when it comes to our sins. We can lay all of those before you today and ask you to forgive us for all of those. We have direct access to you, and we thank you for that this morning. If there is someone here this morning, Lord Jesus, that has yet to, to, to ask you to forgive them of their sins, they have yet to cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that today they'll do that very thing. Today they'll make the greatest decision they could ever make and to confess you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, in this room this morning, there may be some, Father, that, that you're leading to make friendship their church home. Father, there may be some this morning that just needs to remain seated for the next few minutes during our time of invitation, during our time of, of, of song and just pray and reflect. May need to come to this altar and do that. Lord, you know what needs to happen now, Father. And we pray that you'll stir within the hearts of those within this room as well as those that are joining us online. Father, move now. For in Jesus' name we pray.